0: to the prayers of your people. Lord, we do want to thank you that you've been a faithful God, a merciful God, a God who's looked down upon us, and although uh, we've been blackened by sin and such, yet you provided a way uh, for us to be redeemed. Dear Father, we want to thank you for the gift of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him who is altogether lovely. We thank you for the Savior who... As it says in your word, he's loved his own which were in the world, and he loved them unto the end. Lord, we want to thank you that we can believe and know that we were included in that, in that you loved us till the end. We thank you that there upon the cross of Calvary, all was accomplished um, for our salvation. We want to thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We want to thank you for the peace that passes all understanding that you provided for all those who have put their faith and trust in you. We do just bless you for the first day of the week and an opportunity that we can come and be here as your people, Lord, to worship you, to bless your holy name for your goodness, and Lord, also to uh, hear from you and be encouraged from you. Dear Lord, we do just want to think of uh, those. Uh, of the Leroy Anson family uh, with his passing here just recently. Uh, the funeral yesterday and such, we do think of the, the sadness that there is when we have the passing of a, of a, of a friend, uh, of a relative, of a, a father. Um, but, dear Lord, we do thank you for the hope uh, that was heard in that funeral message yesterday. Uh, the hope of a life eternal uh, with our Savior in heaven. We do pray for the the family at this time. We uh, pray for those who who knew him, who uh, feel the loss. Uh, Dear Lord, we do just think of the loss. We think of the the struggles that we have in this life, and there's many uh, that are even listed in the bulletin, the struggles that there are. Lord, we do just ask your measure of grace and mercy upon each and every one, each and every family, Uh, Those uh, of all of us who struggle uh, with various uh, issues, but Lord, we thank you that you're over all things and you're able to work and move. We want to pray this morning that you'd meet needs, that you'd so supply for us in your word. Uh, Give much grace to Pastor Wick as he would share and, and come and bring the ministry here this morning. We do just bless you for all things here today, and we do thank you in thy son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
1: I'd like to invite the children to come on down front, please. Come on down. Who will be first? Oh, good heavens. Here they are. I have the story today of two paper rings one of them which you can cut in half, and one of them which you cannot cut in half. Let me demonstrate. This is a paper ring. Made it out of an eight and a half by 14 sheet of paper. I have to get it started. And we're just going to cut it in half. You think I can do that, right? Not a problem. Background music. And what do we get? We get two rings. All right? Easy peasy. This is not an ordinary paper ring, however. It was cut from are made out of this very same strip of paper, eight and a half by 14. It's not, it's only uh, 2 inches, two and a half inches across, otherwise you can't really fold it like this. And before I joined the two ends, I'd put one twist in it. So you can make these at home. Put one twist in it, and you get something that is, well, it only has one side if you follow it all the way around. If you had an ant crawling around it, he'd never stop. It only has one edge, it looks like it has two edges, but whatever age you're looking at, this edge is the same edge as this edge. It's called a Mobius strip after the mathematician who discovered it in the 19th century, although the Romans, ancient Romans, decorated their walls with images of this so they knew about it too. You can't cut it in half, let me demonstrate. We're gonna try to cut it in half, just like I did the other one. Should be easy peasy, right? Actually, if I, I have to get on the outside of it, there we go. Da, 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 da. We need Jeopardy music. Da, da, da. All right. What? What? It's still one piece, isn't it? Yep, it's still one piece. Now it has two. It has two twists in it instead of one but it's still one piece. Mobius Strip, it's a two-dimensional object in a three-dimensional world. It blows my mind. Topographically, you can't actually chart a spot on it because there's only one side and one edge. It's really incredible. But here's what it illustrates. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all this world, not tribulation, nakedness, peril, or the sword, nothing in heaven or on earth. It could cut into us, but it can't separate us from him. Once, you're, once you have Jesus in your heart, he's never going to leave you or forsake you. Isn't that a nice picture? All right. Who wants to take the movie strip home? This oh, this one. Okay, that's it. Okay. But you can make one at home. All right. You can take your seats. Nobody wanted the regular ones. They just left them there. Disappointing. Well, we're coming this Sunday morning to the end of our study in the book of Acts, which probably seems to some of you started during the Carter administration. But I heard of a pastor somewhere who took the church through a two and a half year study of the book of leviticus i can't imagine why there was any congregation left at the end of that i i i believe in biblical exposition but i mean come on but at any rate um, certainly the book of acts is is worth going through and uh started sometime last summer I know i came in on about what chapter 13 or 14 something like that and and uh i really i've learned a lot i've been, i've enjoyed doing it So we're going to kind of have to read this, the 28th chapter, uh, in order that we can go back and see what's in it. So bear with me. Read along with me if you have your Bible. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Oh, by the way, um, the the deacons were here last Thursday night, and that's a new projector up there. And it was amazing to watch them jump up and do one screwdriver at a time. (laughs) Actually, they had a... They had a, a big framework, a scaffolding built, and they got up and they still had to, I don't know. I'm glad I didn't have to do it, but that's pretty nice. I think we should give them a hand. Uh, good, good job, guys. The technology marches on, isn't it? It was a little brighter than the other one. I don't know if you noticed, but... All right, chapter 28 of Acts. Uh, Luke is writing this, so he uses the we. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta, so they shipwrecked shipwrecked on the island of Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and, putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance." May God bless this reading of his word. You know, the book of Acts really doesn't end. It just brings us to this point in Paul's life. After two years of imprisonment, he was released and the church lives on. I don't know which chapter we're living in, but we're still living in it in this wonderful story of the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Paul's life, as we've seen in these past, I don't know, dozen or so chapters, beginning with his conversion and and going on until finally his imprisonment in Rome was certainly one of high stress and intense crisis. I was reflecting with some people yesterday about this gentleman, who, this pastor who passed away and his funeral and, and all the things that he had lived through. His experiences, which we know very little about in the South Pacific, where he was on some kind of a tanker or fuel ship. Um, boy, there's a sitting duck, and, but he survived, made it through. Uh, I've known, and known and been my privilege to know so many of that generation who, who literally went through hell on earth. Uh, a gentleman in, up in Spearfield, South Dakota, uh, who was in one of those marine units that went from island to island and, and just some horrible, horrible experiences. Uh, another, another gentleman with Patton's third army, uh, that was no picnic marching across Europe as Patton really drove those men. I mean, I, I just, I've just known several of them. And, and, and Germans, um, because I was serving the German Baptists. Uh, there were two men in Detroit who had immigrated from Germany after the war as refugees. They were both brothers. One was in the Wehrmacht and one was in Luftwaffe. And they had some incredible experiences. With another story for a, another time. But crisis, intense crisis, and, and people who go through that are marked forever by that. One of uh, the elderly gentlemen at Riverview up in West St. Paul uh, joined the church while I was there, and he was in that Signal Corps unit in in Germany that um, was wiped out by the SS. They went out on patrol one day, and they were surrounded and captured, and rather than keeping them as prisoners, the SS came and wheeled out a machine gun and gunned them all down. He was alive because he'd been sent on an errand to pick up something the day before and he didn't get back in time and uh, they'd gone without him and, and I think only two or three of them survived came back and told the story by the way after that uh, our troops didn't take any SS prisoners I won't tell you what they did but you can imagine the SS was gonna do that they were gonna get the same treatment that marked him forever crisis stress he had survivor guilt for the rest of his life he did know though why the lord spared him because up to that point he didn't know christ as his savior he married a christian woman when he came home he gave his life to christ and i pointed out to him that's why you that's why you were spared god gave you another day to receive jesus intense crisis i I thought of a, a more homely example one night um, when I was back in Philly, I used to listen to Gene Shepard on the radio, a uh, 45-minute program broadcasting out of New York City, WR. Gene Shepard's the guy who wrote the story that's the Christmas story, that movie about Ralphie and the Red Ryder BB gun. So Great humorous. So he grew up in Hammond, Indiana. But anyway, he's mentioning one day there was, had been a story on the news in WR, a lady had, back in those days before the Internet, they used to have call-in programs and... They had a veterinarian call-in program, and this lady had called in. She wanted to talk about her budgie, a little canary, um, and a cheerful little fellow. She said he was singing a little heart out all day long, and he was just such a nice. Well, she said, and one day I was I was cleaning, and I wanted to vacuum out his cage, and all of a sudden. Oh, I realized. Oh my goodness, you know. And he, I looked in, the, and he wasn't there. And I finally, I opened up the bag, and there he was inside, with all of the dust. And the poor little guy was all covered with dirt, so the hair. And he was kind of choking. And I could, have, I, I took him over, and I went over to the sink, and I opened. Turn the hot water on, like that. He's making noise. I said, "Oh my goodness, it's too hot." I put it way over on cold, dead cold. Ooh, he's starting to shake and shiver, and all. Then he's all wet and the dirt so I Finally, get the dirt off, and I am I gotta dry him off. So I got my hair dryer out and I held him, like that. And then, I, and I put him back in the cage. And she said, that was about a week ago, and he hasn't done any singing since. He just sits and stares. You feel like that sometimes. <laughs> Not a lot of singing, just a lot of sitting and staring. You know, the COVID crisis was a crisis. It affected a lot of people, and personally, and and we're still trying to sur- this, decide what it's like to survive it. But it was really hard on organizations. It was hard on churches. Most churches. If, if you came back, and you came back pretty well here, you came, out, you came back really well. Because a lot of churches never didn't even make 50% recovery in terms of attendance. And many churches died as a result of the COVID, at, at lockdown and all the masking and all that stuff that happened. You know, it was hard on not just churches. Uh, civic groups like Kiwanis, Lions, the Rotary Clubs, a lot of them didn't make it and are operating at 50% of what they were before. The crisis... Causes damage. Stress has results. And here Paul had lived through stress. Incredible st- stress as he tells his story. And, and this was a culminating uh, example here in the book of Acts. Although he went on to experience more stress and, of course, was eventually arrested and pr- imprisoned and beheaded for his faith under the uh, Emperor Nero ultimately. Intense crisis, Paul's life journey. A tremendous storm the whole, whole journey, not just the storm at the end here. Paul demonstrates how we live through that as believers. How do we survive? I just want to point out some things here in this, this passage, a lot of things here. We've got his journey from Malta to Rome in verse 16. And they make it to the island of Malta. They're shipwrecked on this island, a very primitive place at the time. But this is lesson number one for surviving crisis. What had Paul been told by an appearance of an angel? You're going to survive, and I'm going to give you all of those who are with you. This is a word from God, a prophecy from God, and God's word always comes to pass. You can rely on the word of God. That's lesson number one for surviving crisis. We can depend on God's promises in crisis, we need to remember this, every word of God proves true. Not one of his precious promises will ever fail us. That's the first thing we learn in this chapter about crisis. God promises it. God said it. It is going to happen. We can count on it. Then we see how God blesses in verse 2. This island full of barbarians, a rather primitive place at the time. And they are treated kindly by these people. They could have been victimized. They were weak, bedraggled. Instead, they were treated well. And so God blesses in the most unexpected ways in the midst of crisis. No matter how bad things may be, there are always blessings along the way. Then we see God, or Paul rather, continuing to serve in crisis. In verses 3 to 6, he's, he's out there picking up sticks for the fire along with everyone else. He might be the greatest missionary who ever lived, but he wasn't above serving, humbling himself to do that, and, and they observed that. And this is another lesson. In the midst of crisis, we need to keep plugging along. Keep serving. Don't give up. Hang in there. Do what needs to be done and then Paul gets bitten by a snake as he's doing this. Um, some critics of Scripture like to point out that there are no poisonous snakes on the island of Malta. Now. But so they point out as if, you know, as if species don't go extinct all the time. There were then. I mean means people lived there, and they, they knew that a snake bite could be fatal. They had seen people fall down dead or just swell up and then die, and they... They were watching because this apparently was whatever kind of snake it was. It's called a viper here, but we don't know what kind it was. But they knew that it was poison. Were they fools? Of course not. And when he didn't die, this, by the way, is a fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made. It's recorded at the end of the Gospel of Mark that you'll be bitten by snakes and not be hurt. And the word of God was fulfilled. Mark 16, 18 was fulfilled by this. And, And then they see that Paul just continues on. They're watching. We can expect that there will be deliverance in the midst of crisis from some of the problems that maybe are bothering other people during those times. Paul dealt with it with peace and with grace and was unharmed. And so in crisis, we have an opportunity to surprise other people with our peace and our grace. That may be a really hard thing to do Because we're going to have to remind ourselves of who God is and that his promises are true and that whatever happens to us, we have a home in heaven, we're going to make it there. We don't have to be in full panic mode like everyone else. We were going through a little crisis with some medical tests when I was up in Garner and one of the elders said to me, Pastor, I've been watching you. You've been doing well. I felt inside like I was in full panic mode, (laughs) but I faked it really well. So at least fake it, okay? In the midst of crisis, trust in God. Surprise others with your peace and grace. Then verses seven to ten, Paul's visit, his brief visit here to Malta, becomes a healing ministry. First with Publius's father, and then with everybody else on the island who's got sickness. He prays, and and they get healed. Now, we can't go. Uh, and, and necessarily do that unless God gives us that gift, but we can do ministry. And so in the midst of crisis, let's remember this. Stay in ministry. Hang in there. Do what God wants you to do in the service of him. A little, we get a little extra insight from church tradition here. The, the church on Malta today records that Publius, this public official, was the first bishop of the church in our modern terms. He was the first pastor there. So Luke doesn't give us those details, but apparently he was converted and and developed a church that exists there on that island to this day. Probably in the Catholic tradition now, but anyway, how it got started was was through Paul's healing ministry and the gospel ministry there. So there will be fruit, even in the midst of crisis, if we're faithful to our mission. Don't lose sight of that. In crisis, keep focused on the mission. One of the dangers that happens when organizations are in crisis is mission drift, it's called. There's even a phrase for it. Taking their eye off the ball. And and now, okay, in order to survive, we will do something else in order to keep the finances flowing, in order to keep people employed, and so on, and justifying our existence. And it's become so difficult to actually be a church that we become something else. It's so difficult to be a mission organization that we become some kind of a service organization or whatever. And this has happened to organizations during this COVID crisis. That's the wrong response. We need to stay with our mission, whatever it costs, whatever effort it takes. And Paul did this, and it was blessed with fruit, apparently, that remains to this day. Beware of mission drift. Then Paul moves on, verses 11, 13, to Sicily. Now, he wasn't there very long, but once again, tradition. Sicily claims that Paul founded the first church there. Well, that's pretty incredible, but on the other hand, this is the apostle Paul, and he just never dropped a ball. He was always there Trying to lead people to Christ. And, and according to, again, tradition on Sicily, he did just that. Or possibly after he was finally released from prison in Rome, he came back through that way again, having made some contacts. In any case, once again, he did not lose sight of the mission of the church. Then verses 14 to 16, as Paul now has made landfall and they're walking to Rome. It's about 170 miles of walking. Um, I don't know what you could make. I would imagine 20 miles a day would be pretty good. So he was going at this for maybe eight days, nine days, maybe 10 days along the way. And along the way, at at two different stages, he's greeted by Christians. Uh, This was not, Paul was not the first missionary to Rome. There had already been missionaries there. The gospel had spread. There were churches already. And the brothers meet him. And he is refreshed by that. In crisis... We need to seek the refreshment of fellowship. One of the terrible things that happened with the COVID crisis was that it isolated people. That was not a good thing to have happen. Some people are still isolated. You know, we found out because we had some time off there and in between, between Garner and here, it wasn't very long, but, you know, uh, I will confess, we went to church in our pajamas Sipping on a cup of coffee with my feet up. This is pretty cool, I thought. You know what? That's not good for you. No, we need face-to-face contact with other believers. It's just too easy to watch it online. And I understand if you're shut in, it's a real gift, and you can't get out. But when you can get out, get out. And it may be but it's a little different here, because Paul's walking along here, but this was a refreshing thing for Paul. This was bad. In contact with reality and getting the encouragement of other believers was just terrific to revive his spirit at this time. So in Christ, seek the refreshment of fellowship, do not withdraw. Verses 17 to 31, Paul now is in Rome, and he confronts the Jews there, because that's his method, it was always his method to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So he contacts the Jews. And he explains to them the situation. I have no charge to bring against my people, he said. Here's something that happens in crisis. We start blaming other people for our problems. Boy, could Paul have blamed the Jews for his problems. Why was he already two years in chains? Because the Jews brought these charges against him. And now he's going to languish even another two years in Rome until the case is finally dismissed because the Jews never show up. The Jews from Jerusalem never show up to bring the charges against him. But there he is under house arrest for all this time. It would have been very, very easy and actually uh, factually correct for him to point the finger at the Jews as the cause of his problems. And he doesn't. I have no charge to bring against my people, he says. That is... Uh, really sharp rebuke to us. In the midst of the COVID crisis, there was a lot of blaming going on, pointing the fingers at other Christians and at the government and everything else. And what good did any of that do? That, once again, energy that is spent in blaming other people for our problems and our difficulties is energy that we don't spend in figuring out how to share the gospel and lifting up Jesus Christ. And you can never blame Paul for failing to lift up Jesus and proclaiming the gospel. I have no charge to bring against my people. Don't play the blame game. Remember Joseph? His brothers threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. And he ended up finally in a dungeon in Egypt as a result of that. And we know the story that God saw that he was lifted up and became second in command of the greatest empire in the world at that time. And he says to his brothers, After their father dies, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. Of course the COVID crisis was terrible. Of course a lot of bad things happened. The devil meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. As long as we don't play the blame game, let's give God the glory instead. You know, Paul, and his experience, had met with a lot of opposition. In verses 21 to 23, He's addressing the Jews in Rome, and he takes the opportunity to preach to them from morning until evening. They come to him. This is an interesting point this whole story. It seems like the devil had gathered all of his forces to oppose the Apostle Paul. He's almost killed in Jerusalem. He's imprisoned for two years by Felix and Festus. He's... Now sent on to Rome. And along the way, I wouldn't be surprised if the devil whipped up that storm. And almost gets drowned, and then he gets finally saved, and he's now he's in in Rome at last. He's finally able to, to bring the gospel to the Jews who are in Rome. And they come to him. He's in a house, he's having to rent, he's chained to a guard day and night. He can't go out. And they come to him. After the initial contact, it says they came in even greater numbers. In times of crisis where we have extraordinary obstacles to overcome, what will we discover? God will overcome them. God will open new doors. God will provide. If we can't go out to people at some point, for some reason or other, they'll come to us. Then, when that happens let's follow paul's example take full advantage of every opportunity i don't know how he did it because he basically admitted to the corinthians he really wasn't much of a preacher and yet he kept them there all day from morning until evening that's twelve solid hours of bible teaching i'm not even into my first hour yet i'm gonna go on here until midnight no of course not but he did he was he wanted to be sure that they heard everything they needed to hear he took advantage of every minute in times of crisis we will face extraordinary limitations but we can trust god to overcome those and we need to take full advantage of every opportunity what did paul do well he expounded upon the kingdom of god he tried to convince him about jesus that is that jesus was the messiah and the Savior of the world, and he mentions coming judgment. It's all part of the whole story. There's going to be an, a bad end for all of eternity for people who reject the gospel. They don't listen. Some of them anyway. Some of them do, but some of them don't. And Paul's very, very frustrated. But but let's follow his example here. In times of crisis, let us continue to proclaim Jesus and the kingdom of God. In the coming judgment, don't give up. Now, it's interesting. Paul says, I'm gonna, we're going to go to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will listen. Not all of them, just like with Jews. Some of them won't, but some of them will. Now, the direction has changed. I, I, I want to say this is important to understand this. This is, this is already back in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke, Luke is, I think, a Gentile convert and he's picking up on this thread, and and then we see it all the way through the book of Acts. One way of looking at the book of Acts is that its theme is to describe or explain how this religious sect of Judaism became the religion of the Gentiles. Here's kind of the final word. Here you go. How did it become that? Because the Jews, except for a remnant, rejected the gospel. And Paul explains the same thing, the very same thing in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And now the Gentiles are coming and responding in greater numbers, and now the church is mostly Gentile. What was the big issue in the first century? Did Gentiles have to become Jews in order to become Christian? Did they have to pass through Judaism? No, they didn't. It was decided. You recall that. They didn't have to worry about keeping the Old Testament law because they were obeying the law of Christ thanks to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a whole different setup now. Now, of course, the question is, does a Jew have to become a Gentile in order to become a Christian? And the answer is, no, of course not. There's only one way to become a Christian, and that is through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But most of the response now is going to be amongst Gentiles except for a remnant. We live in the age of the Gentiles when the Gentiles will listen, so we better be talking to them. Amen? That's our mission. That's our job in this age. Now, that age is going to come to an end. Now, I'm, I'm a pre-trib rapture guy. Just in the event that God's going to give us what we expect... I'm just afraid for the people who don't think we're going to go through the tribulation, they'll get what they expect. I believe in the rapture. I think we're going to be gone. But you have to understand something. And people say, well, God isn't going to spare us from persecution. Of course not. The tribulation time is not a time of just persecution. It's God's wrath against the wickedness of the human race. It's judgment. But there is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse, verse, verse 1. God is going to spare us his wrath, and so I think we're going to be gone. That's the end of the age of the Gentiles. Then we have the tribulation time, the time of Jacob's trouble, when the Jews will come again to Jesus Christ in mass. I don't Again, that doesn't mean every last Jew, but by and large they will come again. They'll have, they'll have their time again right at the end. But we are living in the age of the Gentiles. The point of this rambling is that that age is coming to an end. I don't know when, but it's been 2,000 years now. How much longer do you think God is going to extend his grace to the Gentiles? There came an end for that opportunity to the Jews, except for a remnant. We have a message. We should have a sense of urgency about our mission as Hastings Berean Church. How much more time is God giving us in this world. We we don't know. It's going to come to an end. Our mission is urgent. So to sum up in this passage, the message for us of course is always this that we need to repent and believe the gospel ourselves. This is the one shot that we have in life. That's it. After this comes judgment. So let's be ready for that through faith in Christ. Then secondly, let's stay on our mission We've been through a lot of crisis, a lot of tough times. Let's keep our eye on the prize, our eyes on Jesus. Let's proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the mission that you've given to us. We recognize ourselves sometimes as being unworthy servants. We get handed the ball and sometimes we fumbled it. We've been far from perfect in our service of you. Lord, we want another chance as individuals, as a congregation. We've seen many, many here who've been faithful, who haven't fumbled the ball. We think of things this church has done that have been effective, and Lord, we just want more of that in your service. I, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will begin to see a steady stream of new believers coming into this congregation. It's great when people from other churches come here, it's wonderful that they join the fellowship and take part in the work. But Lord, I pray that you would give us that joy, the joy that you have in your heart when sinners repent and come to faith in Jesus. Please, Lord, grant us that revival amongst ourselves, Lord, and repentance and faith among the unbelievers in our community. These favors we ask through Christ our Lord, amen. you, I'm going to say a word of grace for that, and then we'll have the benediction. Father in heaven, we thank you for those who have labored to prepare a delicious meal for us. We thank you for that. We ask your blessing on our time of fellowship together. And now may God himself, the God of peace, make you holy in every part, keep you sound in spirit, mind, and body, without fault when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. He who calls you is to be trusted. He will do it. Amen.